Conventional conventionists, thank you for tuning your dial to Time Warp Radio, the Rocky Horror Picture Show movie by minute podcast, where with each seven minutes, bah, 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 we, we can, can make, make you a fair. I'm Haley Mervini. And I'm Katie Tomini. And we're your resident criminologists on all things Rocky Horror Picture Show. Today we are analyzing timestamps hour 1 minute 30 to hour 1 minute 36 second 51. In this segment, all our favorite characters get got. <laughs> it's like a whammy, a triple whammy in fact, but it all happens so quickly that like and so right at the end of the movie (laughs) and what in fact is an rko radio picture hmm hmm Hmm? did they really never like him we might find out maybe in our profile of the co-creator of this universe richard o'brien we left frank on the steps of the stage yes he raises himself to his full height because he's like, I'm going to go out strong <laughs> and proud. If I'm going out, I'm going out big. Taking it on his chin. And we cut to Janet, Brad, Rocky, and Dr. Scott. Yes. Who, uh, Janet raises her hand to her mouth. Classic Janet drama. <laughs> and I love it because... Susan is such a ham, too. Oh, like totally. They're all equally hams in their own regard, in their own how they're, like, parodying these character tropes. She's always so in shock at, <laughs> at everything that's happening. Brad's holding her extra close. Yes. Rocky looks terrified. And Dr. Scott's, like, anticipatory and holding his hands together, like, waiting to see what's happening, what's going to happen here. (laughs) Because he knows, like, he just needs to keep his mouth shut. He doesn't need to, like, interfere at all. Yeah, it seems like Dr. Scott's been kind of the uh, catalyst for a lot of what's Mm -hmm. going on in this evening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he knows that, "Mm, I probably shouldn't say anything if I don't want to make this worse. No, he just plants the the suggestion that it's a laser of pure antimatter right <laughs> and he otherwise is staying selectively quiet mm-hmm. if we were shadow casting this scene this is a pretty easy one yeah you you i mean you mirror what's happening and uh brad janet dr scott and rocky are pretty stationary from i'm going home until Rocky's big moment, and then until they all later exit the stage. Mm -hmm. Riff and Magenta will have started at one of the back of the aisles and make their way and encroach back Frank down after he's walked up an aisle during I'm Going Home. Yes. 
Yeah, where where are you as Columbia? Do you sit on the side of the stage so that I um usually find a good armrest to perch on, mm. and I'm usually in like just the like front row on one of the sides, just sitting on an armrest mm-hmm. or on you know someone's lap if there's like a nice person there that doesn't mind. <laughs> Audience interactivity. That's the name of the game. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say that this is the scene that I have watched the most amount of times because as a Columbia being off to the side, <laughs> I don't have to be in character in this moment. I usually still am just because like, you know, why not? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Feign a little bit of, uh, you know, caring and compassion for Frank, but <laughs> I'm, I, I'm just watching the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm. this is when I give myself the excuse to like participate in callbacks when I'm usually I usually don't I like to respond in character to callbacks that are occurring throughout the movie um but during I'm going home and during the takeover I like to shout out callbacks with when Rocky is he's got a chest of steel a back of steel and (laughs) a plank of wood that he walks on like um I love doing those callbacks Janet and Brad have had kind of, like, you, no, you never stop for Janet and Brad. You're kind of just, like, always. Yeah. So this is, like, I'm just watching. I get to enjoy whoever is my Frank. Plus, I don't know that, uh, and then I get to enjoy Janet my and Brad are all that invested in this story at this point. Like, they're not like Columbia. They're not the groupie. They haven't had the amount of time that she has to become invested in Frank. So watching him die, they're like, oh, that's really crappy. But also, like, eh. They, too, are being selectively quiet when they see what happens mm-hmm. uh, to the groupie. But there's a cut line that Frank would have said to Riff Raff saying do your worst inferior one just adding salt to the wound like frank i get that you're the queen of quips but like (laughs) really he's like got the barrel he just his threatened you and is like okay i dare you in the original show Columbia sacrifices herself by jumping darting, between them. Yeah, yeah, between them. Do you feel like she's sacrificing? Well, we'll get to it. <laughs> Instead, we get a close-up shot of Magenta's eyes. And Pat in the commentary says, a twitch in the eyes. So I'm calling that an official callback. <laughs> like, meta-officialized Pat approves. By Pat, yeah. She raises her eyelids, and she has gorgeous blue-green eyes uh, with the white and pink layered eyeshadow and her signature... Lashes. Yeah, giant lashes. Spider lashes. Yes. (laughs) Then we cut to Riff's mouth that's twitching into a smile. A smirk. Yeah. (laughs) He can barely believe this is going so well. We then cut out to like a wide shot of Riff bringing the ray gun up to like eye level um, and clasping both of his hands on it. But he's kind of like shaky. I think he's like, as much as I think that he really wants to take over 
and that he's done with Frank, he still has respect for him. And he's like, well, this is my master. Like, mm-hmm. I think he's having some conflicted feelings of, do I really want to kill this guy? Yeah, this is a final move. Like, he can't... I mean, it's good to know that he's at least considering. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if, like... So, Riff didn't kill Rocky earlier. Yeah. He let him go without harming him. He really just kind of, like, scared him in the direction of the exit. Like, I don't know if Riff, like, intended to kill Frank either. I don't know. I feel like the only person that he intentionally wanted to kill was Frank. Okay. I think that he didn't want to hurt anybody else. Because Frank's really the only one who's, like, actually literally abused him and, uh-huh. uh, you know, did him any wrong. Calls him literally inferior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I have so many thoughts about about the ray gun that's in Riff's hands and how if they've adopted human language and terminology for alien touchstone culture items of theirs, you know, like... <laughs> Like, maybe Riff was just agreeing with Dr. Scott and, like, yeah, it looks like a laser to you. Yeah. It is a a laser. And maybe him saying that it's an antimatter laser is, like, it doesn't even matter to you humans because the science wouldn't make sense to you. It's it's outside of your your logic capabilities, you know? (laughs) Because I'm... I don't know if there's evidence that it is either faulty equipment or or a teleportation device. I am not sure where you're getting this information from. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about it in terms of like, he says, prepare the transit beam. The castle does not get transit beamed away it flies away and if frank is a crown prince of transylvania and riff is the robot assistant that has been sent on the mission to make sure that he doesn't like stray from the mission to make sure that he finishes what he was sent to earth to complete and like what if riff is teleporting him back to Transylvania and like his earth body doesn't matter because it's not his real body anyways yeah okay but on the other hand I know I've been really upset about the stupid transit beam this entire time and being like well they fly away they don't get like beamed up but (sighs) going into like Star Trek if you watch when they get beamed up Scotty they do, like, you can see, like, the it blur is like a of them. Well, and you can see, like, the blur of them getting yeah. transported away. So maybe the castle is getting beamed up, but it's just, like, a slower beam. So, like, it's maybe valid. it is the transit beam, and it's just, like, a very slow-moving one. And we can just fault the special effects that were available to them at that yeah. time. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. But, okay, because... I don't know if Riff has it in him to kill because he didn't kill Eddie 
I don't think he intends to kill Columbia. But I don't know. She screams from her spotlight near her jukebox, which is so like full circle for her to be introduced at that spot, literally, Mm -hmm. and uh, for her to come to her demise. She screams, no! And Riff is like so fast on the trigger that no one else in the shot gets to turn around and look at how fast it happens. Like, he spins around, zaps her, and then we cut back to Frank, who's like... Terrified? (laughs) He's like shocked it worked. Columbia collapses next to that like strange palm tree that was still there during Mm -hmm. the time warp. I think that Riff doesn't mean to kill her. I agree with you. I think that he just was surprised by the noise and he was so nervous in the first place. We can see him shaking, literally. Mm -hmm. So I think that he was just so nervous that he heard the noise, he freaked out and he shot her. He was like primed to go. Yeah. Yeah, she just had terrible timing. I know. Did she think she could stop him? Do you think she thought she would get him to like just lower the weapon and turn around and look at her and maybe she she might have thought like oh I can distract him or I can maybe talk him down because she's been friendly with these people mm-hmm. before the events of the movie that we see like we don't know truly how deep the relationship ru- runs but she's in enough to be in on their like and to be roommates with Magenta well even at the Denton Episcopalian she was with them yeah So it's not like, yeah, I don't know. She saw Eddie get murdered. Mm -hmm. She screamed very similarly. Yeah. Because she saw her lover get murdered once, and she's not going to sit by this time. Which, like, poor thing. I know. Well, tell, okay. You're a Columbia. (laughs) What does this feel like as... What, like watching Nell collapse, knowing this is the last time Columbia is going to be on screen as a character. Like, you didn't get to say goodbye to her. You didn't know Fun Floor Show was going to be the last time you got to see Fun Nell doing her, like, sexy thing. It's heartbreaking to watch your favorite character literally get killed off. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm the second person to die in this stupid movie. <laughs> Are you kidding me? As a 10-year veteran shadowcaster, it's more like, yes, I get to die. No. <laughs> and then you change into your normal clothes. And it's great. And then you get comfy. Dun, okay. Da, da, da. Well, tell me more than about seeing your favorite character die so suddenly. And, like, she's so likable. Yes. She does nothing wrong the entire film. She is the only, like, um, heard voice of reason. Like, Janet tries to tell Brad until she gets seduced um, that this isn't a great place. But, like, Columbia is the one that's screaming during Eddie's murder. She's the one, as soon as she realizes what's happening at the dinner scene, she gets up and goes. 
I think that's why I always loved her so much is because she was like very passionate and very much like, no, I'm going to get my point across. You will hear me. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, at that point, you kind of, well, as a Columbia fan, you kind of know like, well, this isn't going the way that we thought it was going to. And it's definitely not going to now because who's going to listen to literally anybody else who's alive? Yes. Is, like, Columbia a missing person? Has she been missing for X amount of days? Did X she amount have... of weeks? Months? Yeah. How long? Exactly. How long has she been at the castle? Do you think Nurse Ancelog in shock treatment is Columbia? No. I think that Riff and Magenta found another person who reminded them of Columbia and was like, come on, let's go. Because do I think that Cosmo and Nation are the same people? Yes. Ah. Because I was thinking, if it's the same person, if it's a transit beam, and they're planning on taking her back with them, and they just need her to stay in the castle. Like, okay, even, I'm even thinking, like, what if it's just, like, a stun gun? You know? What if they just, like, zap them for 10 minutes and it knocks them at unconscious and that gives them enough time to like tie frank in a cage so that he doesn't get loose then if they were planning on continuing to keep columbia as part of like the crew mm-hmm. and they knew that she was useful to them and already but on then the inner, in, inner wait, uh, circle but then we're rocky and frank Holes in your theory. Well, no, okay. Columbia collapses on the floor of the ballroom, whereas Frank and Rocky fall in a pool, which is a hole in the ground. So she collapses. Yes. Frank is now very concerned. He was going to take it, uh, like, I don't know. Why was it? Why? Strongly. I don't know why he didn't start running the second I'm going home was over and he realized they weren't friendly and they weren't being like, yeah, you're going back in spirit, they say. Yeah, like your dead spirit leaving your body. Or your spirit getting transit beamed back to your Transylvanian body on our home planet. Nah. Tim was so into it by this scene says pat in the commentary and you see that level of reality that tim is bringing to the performance he looks like he's getting chased down for his life it's why the scene works he has to be so over the top that you believe the stakes are that high yes he screams no 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 as he backs into the, like, Riff is pointing the ray gun at him and he's backing into the curtain. And for some reason makes the decision to try and climb the curtain. Why? Why? Why not under or around or just off one of the wings? Again, why didn't he just take off running? Because we know that Frank can run in heels. He ran up the stairs in Planet Schmanet. Um, I don't know why he didn't take off unless he, d- he wasn't that concerned about the actual, uh, technology that was being presented in front of him. I'm just saying, um, 
he's climbing up the rope and this is actually Tim Curry climbing up this rope, Mm -hmm. which from a director's standpoint makes sense because they need Tim Curry to react. Yeah, they need his face. Who are you telling me they're going to have a different person pretend to die after we've watched Tim Curry act this whole movie? It would not make sense. We would be like, wait, that clearly looks like a stunt double. (laughs) But that was something that, like, the entire crew, like, everybody on set was like, um, this is a terrible decision. Like, we really shouldn't be letting the principal actor on this production doing his own stunts. But again, like, Pat said he was so into it that he was like, yeah, I'll climb a rope. (laughs) I'll climb it. You want me to climb a rope? I'll do it. I'll do it. I I won't even ask why you're telling me to climb a rope. I did this in gym class. We got this. (laughs) We cut back to Riff, who's aiming, and then back to the uh, foursome that are just watching Mm -hmm. on the side of the stage. After Columbia gets lasered, they're all like, okay, we just need to stay quiet because we know where Riff's target is, and we're not going to interfere. He already shot someone who screamed. Yes. So Janet's being very reserved, but she reacts to to Frank going up the curtain. She puts her hand to her forehead. And I'm thinking too, when I'm when I'm shadow casting this, I'm like, yeah, why? Why are you No! <laughs> Just run off. Um Riff fires the ray gun as Frank is, like, reaching the top of the rope. He arches his back where he's been shot, screams, and slides back down the curtain. His head hits the stage, and then his face rolls toward the camera, and Tim's rolling his eyes back in his head and doing, like, a gag, like, dead, dead, dead. Frankenfurter is D-E-D dead. Right. He's out of his head. <laughs> <laughs> okay, another point to make in your in your theory. Uh-huh. Riff says, basically, bold of you to think that you're going back to Transylvania, but you're going in spirit. So why would he be like, you think you're going back to Transylvania? Well, guess what? We're going back to Transylvania. Because Riff Raff was speaking nonsense English like the entire time like he's a robot that has automated responses that he has to like tweak ever so slightly to adjust the conversation bold of you to assume that these are robot people listen so Frank hits his head (laughs) on the stage which is so macabre because he dies right after he has this grand ballad which similarly to like eddie's teddy feels like i know i made this la- this point last time but it's like he's speaking at his own funeral you know mm-hmm. and it's also like pretty incredible that we get a full movie with frank just to watch him die at the end yes right but right before it ends right before it ends and it's such an explosion of an ending because after all of the other events of the movie it's like shocking that 
this is now where like the horror element mm-hmm. comes into the movie. You're like, oh yeah, it is called the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like, <laughs> oh, I guess I am feeling the emotions of watching a horror movie right now. Okay, I still, even if he, even if the the ray gun isn't a transit beam, that's still, so. this, him falling and hitting his head still supports the ray gun possibly being faulty equipment. And that Columbia is maybe not dead. We'll get to it. These ray gun special effects are like, they're like, you know early 70s special effects they are beautiful okay they are they are because it also puts this movie in a capsule of like richard o'brien calls it primitive in the commentary in the commentary (laughs) because now cgi can do like wandavision you know it can have people flying around they could have the 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 spaceship take off without like if they wanted to do real laser beams they could do them but it also adds to it being like a parody of 50s exactly sci-fi movies and like like if they were more realistic quote-unquote laser beams it wouldn't feel as like warm yeah fuzzy on the inside and it's like cartoonish. Mm-hmm. So even though you see them getting zapped, you're still like, it's not like it's not like Riff walks in with like a machine gun. Yeah, the curtain falls and covers Frank. Yeah, his lifeless body, and Janet buries her face in Brad's chest. Uh, Doctor Scott puts his hands to his face as well, and Rocky wheels him back as they all move away from the collapsing curtain. Then we cut back to where Frank is laying and a long rope just falling on to him finishes the cake. <laughs> like, I don't, why? Why does the rope get dropped? It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> why not? Finishing touch. Finality. He's really not getting up out from under that rope. I love that he gets covered by the curtain because it allows for... Yet another curtain reveal post-mortem for Frank. (laughs) And uh, you made the note that like now Brad, Janet, Scott, and Rocky are not under Frank's like puppet mind control any longer. For sure that they like they are definitely 100% broken from that spell because like as soon as his head hits the floor... All of them, like, snap back and, like, they're all reacting to his death and they're all, like, (gasps) and they move backwards and you can tell for sure that there is no more puppet strings. Do you think they were in some kind of state to that point? Do you think they weren't? Is it, was it, like, get out? Were they in a sunken place and they could see what was happening? Do they think that they're, like, they fell asleep in the car? I mean, maybe because, like, if you go back and read their statements, they don't talk really about floor show at all. Mm-mm. At all. After they get medusa'd. Yeah. From that point on. And I like that Ricky and Walter, one of the things they brought up was if 
the Medusa machine, if that is when they get transported uh, to Transylvania, and then that explains why they wake up out of floor show mid-song is because they were living out the Transylvanian life. <laughs> Literally, like, teleported to another <laughs> planet. But yeah, you're right. There's a, a shift in all of them. their connection, yeah. their energy connection to Frank. Magenta moves up behind Riff, who's continuing to point the gun because he's like, I'm, n- I'm not ruining this takeover attempt by not double tapping. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's making sure he's done. Magenta's just staring at Riff, just like waiting to see if he's finished yet. Until Rocky's cry off screen breaks both of their attention. He pushes Brad and Janet aside and the camera pans with him as he falls to the floor, then crawls over to the edge of the curtain where he can release the choir. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And reveal Frank... And it's such a grand reveal. That's another one of my favorite callbacks, though, is Rocky, don't look under there. There's bad music under there. No, it is chef's kiss. This is one of those. Okay, the arrangements in this whole section of the movie, there's just like, there's little things that it feels like Richard Hartley was like, oh, I need to make this like, extra special like I'm just gonna I don't know because all of it's great all of the movie's great all of the orchestrations are great he's using different sound effects and different instruments in these last 10 minutes that make the atmosphere feel glittery I don't know how else to describe it because it's like it's like the um it's also those the choir so the choir comes in we had like a brief moment of of quiet Mm mm-hmm until Rocky, is, and that's so heartbreaking. Rocky just like moaning. There is a cut line in the stage directions, which was, although he despised Frank, he was all he had in the world. Sweet Peter. <laughs> I know. Really? The face with the lips that he's making, it's so just, um, you, I don't want to say it's ugly. But you know when, like, you ugly cry and it's real? Yeah. <laughs> like, he, it, his heart looks broken. Broken, yeah. Um, He completely does not understand. He doesn't understand the alien technology at all. He's not like Brad and Dr. Scott who may have some level of awareness of the technology that's being used. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just seen... What Frank means to all of us means to Rocky. Um, And I wonder if Frank's mission was to create a completely devoted sex doll. Does this interaction where he shoves Brad and Janet aside and sacrifices himself to protect Frank, does it support that Frank actually fulfilled his mission? I think it does. Because Rocky is serving, protecting, and uh, literally sacrificing himself for Frank. Yeah, yeah. I think it. I think that uh, Frank succeeded in what he was going for. We 
see uh, Rocky just gently, gingerly picking up Frank by the neck and then start to cradle him and scoop his head and cry and moan. And we again see the trickle of blood coming down from Frank's forehead. I have a really dumb picture of me and Kiana in this scene. Me as Rocky and Kiana as Frank and Furter. We're going to use that. Because I remember, I know what photo you're talking about. <laughs> it's me making really ugly faces and Kiana pretending to be dead. Well, it's both of you guys are making great faces. Yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but are we getting such a display of Frank's bleeding forehead because he didn't die from the antimatter ray gun? He actually died from the impact of falling from 20 plus feet? Maybe the antimatter gun doesn't kill you immediately. Like it zaps the life energy out of you. Whoa. He's looking at Riff. I always just think of him just like looking out and performing out because they're on a stage right now. They're per- like, this is all getting performed on a stage. Mm-hmm. And you think that Rocky is just like being an overdramatic ham. But it, he's, like, making eye contact with Riff. Yeah. And is, like, crying out, why did you do this? Literally, I don't understand why you did this. Because he's only seven hours old. And he has no idea how deep Riff's resentment runs. Mm-hmm. We cut to Brad, who's having a moment. He looks away as if it's too painful to watch. And he holds Janet close. And do you think this has taught him a lesson in appreciation? Yeah, definitely. I, seeing the evolution of how they were interacting with each other in the beginning of the movie, as opposed to the end of the movie, they're much closer. They're a lot more, like, hands-on, touchy, comforting. And it's almost as if they've, through separating themselves from each other, They've learned to appreciate each other more. I like that as a theme. It's it's kind of like choose your own ending of like, do Brad and Janet end up together? Yes. Do they fall apart? Do no. they? I know there's like, but you saying that like, this experience has brought them closer and that that's what relationships are. They're complicated not mm-hmm. it's not always going to be you get engaged and everything's happy it's all because as long and dance. as mom and dad know you and we have it approved by mom and dad and we do it at a church we're good like it's like no it's more complicated there's emotions involved communication needs to be involved yep. <laughs> and Sometimes you have to go through things to be able to communicate better with each other. And maybe that's what Brad and Janet figure out by the end of this. Fingers crossed, man. No one reacted this way to Eddie dying or to Columbia dying. I mean, they didn't really have a chance to react to Columbia dying. All of this happened so quickly. I don't think we ever have time ever at any point in the movie to have a reaction to any of the events that are going exactly. on. <laughs> like, this is the one moment that they're like, no, feel this. Yes. Yes. And it's cathartic because it's building up this 
whole time we've just been watching this bizarre movie that feels like a bunch of music videos linked together (laughs) that all of a sudden is paying off Mm -hmm. and is like epic the music is awesome like there's no dialogue happening right now Mm -hmm. some of the most powerful moments in the movie are the moments that are like silent silent films Yeah. yeah so at this point we have riff raff aiming his laser gun directly mm-hmm. at Rocky and shooting him. He's carrying Frank at this point. He, we cut back to him already carrying Frank. And he's choosing to defend Frank's honor instead of just like a... a he could have stayed with Brad and Janet and Scott. Or he could have escaped. He could have ran off. He could have... Again... Why does he go to the tower and climb up a tower when he can run? Okay, to answer your question of why did they climb the thing, for both Frank and Rocky's case, watch any slasher movie. Where does the girl always go? Janet, how Janet did up the stairs. Exactly. Yes. They never go the way that they're supposed to. They always go up the stairs. They always put themselves at like... The worst possible place. A stop. A dead end. A literal dead A end. literal dead end. Riff is firing a blast of laser beam at Rocky. It, it hits him square in the chest, but he doesn't go down. Doesn't He barely flinches. As he continues to move around the swimming pool with that Archeo radio tower in the background. Riff Raff fires again, hitting Rocky as he's walking along the edge of the pool. We're just like, he's is he impenetrable? I think that it has something to do with like the way he was created. Because he can take a lot of hits. Yeah. Unless it's faulty equipment. Or it just doesn't work on him because he's a created being. Yes. Because that's my thing is like it obviously worked first shot on Columbia. It obviously worked first shot on Frank. And it takes like what three, four shots to even like have the tower fall. But then he's screaming the whole way down. So I think that he's just impervious to this ray gun. I don't think that it works on him. Because I was thinking about... Columbia being a like skilled performer <laughs> because she's she takes her tap dancing so seriously she screams as she falls could she just be like shocked and scared and faints because we see another character faint a lot and I don't need to say her name because we know it's so a part of her character Yeah, but I think that if she had just fainted, we would see her in superheroes. I don't think that she would... Unless she's in the castle taking off with Riff and Magenta. But I don't think she would have stayed there with them at that point. I think she would have left with the rest of the characters. Well, okay, because if it's faulty equipment, I'm thinking, like, Rocky doesn't know how to react to this. And if Frank was reacting the way... He thinks he'd react getting shot by this ray gun. I think he gets, he too gets surprised and lets go of the rope and falls and hits his head. 
But if he was just acting like you're implying. No, like not acting intentionally like he thought he got shot. Columbia thought she got shot. She collapsed to the floor because. But he can't see it. It's shooting him in the back. So he doesn't know when it's hitting him. He hears it. Because we hear that like. So maybe he's reacting to like if he heard a gunshot going off. Okay, but. Again. And then if if it's not working, it would explain why Rocky why Rocky is not responding to it because he's like, "Oh, that's not oh, that doesn't feel like how I thought it was going to feel like. I'm going to still try to get away." It could even be a stun gun. He could even be getting like pew pew and then he See, I still think it's like a death ray. Floor. I still think it's a death ray. I still think that they die. I just think that Rocky is impervious to it. Well, Rocky looks like he's just trying to get away. Yeah. Like he didn't understand why he was brought into this strange universe. His entire existence has been confusing because we've witnessed the entire thing. And we're confused. So (laughs) Rocky's also confused. And Riff is smiling so creepy. Yeah. I don't know if he's power hungry or what, because he's continuing to follow Rocky like around the pool. But he's like pace him down sideways walking. He's like crab walking. (laughs) And then we get a really great shot, a candid angle of Riff like diagonally shooting the ray gun off screen. We cut to Rocky like halfway up the ladder with Frank over his shoulder. He looks over his right shoulder, shakes his fist at Riff like, why don't you just leave us alone? And then reaches to grab Frank's arm and put it on his shoulder. (laughs) Rocky just continues to climb when he could have run off the sides of the stage. Um, I'm wondering if he was following Frank's example because he just saw Frank try to exit by upward climbing exit i mean this is now the second person that he's witnessed to go up instead of out because he saw janet do it now he saw frank do it yeah must be higher ground that sort of thing i don't know dude it's weird um he's also not wearing his heels at this point he probably kicked him off while they were sitting uh watching i'm going home or he tripped on them when he went to go get dead frank and kicked him off at that point that would make sense too why he fell to the floor yeah yeah poor rocky if he'd had to have kept going <laughs> poor <laughs> peter <laughs> yeah really the, the actual person involved in, hmm. in the statement i just sympathize with the character Ugh. because also it's it's not stunt doubles because they need the, re- the, reactions. the facial reactions and i don't know why they didn't build like a smaller set so Rocky climbing this radio tower is giving me major King Kong vibes. Yeah, that's definitely the reference that I thought was being made. So Riff continues to shoot Rocky. Yes. We see the lightning beams like going off of the radio tower tower, in the background. It's like a meta reference that it's a King Kong movie and King Kong was an RKO film. If they're acting out scenes of an RKO movie, 
in the movie we were watching. On an RKO tower. Right. It's like what? So right? In the 1933 film, Kong is climbing the Empire State Building and is then attacked by four planes that are... Like circling him. It's an iconic Because it's all stop motion and like claymation, mm-hmm. early claymation. He's able to like knock one of them out of the air, out of yeah. the air, but is ultimately overtaken by their gunfire and is felled to his death. Okay, King Kong wasn't shot by the planes. He fell to his death. Yeah, Rocky. But uh, he's <laughs> like famously holding Fay Ray in his hand. Then the main character, Carl Denham, the filmmaker character, yeah, says it wasn't the airplanes; it was beauty that killed the beast. See another Frank and Rocky reference. It wasn't Riff, aka the airplanes; it was beauty. Frank killed the beast. Rocky. Rocky wouldn't have died if he didn't try and save Frank. Well, absolutely. It's also like Frank. Uh, Rocky wouldn't have existed without Frank mm-hmm. creating him. And therefore wouldn't have died. <sighs> Meta. <laughs> Meta. <laughs> he was supposed to have, like, beaten on his chest and let out, like, a roar. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Which would have just been... Like, but he makes over the top. A moan. He does. Which is still, you're feeling the emotions that he's feeling, and... I was thinking about how we've had a lot of the narrative framed for us throughout this movie based on how other characters are reacting to the events that they're witnessing. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, like, if audiences who come to see Rocky Horror, like, do they actively remember that all of these characters die at the end or do they just like to forget that the last after the kick line ends and after i'm going home ends like that's the standing ovation and we left before we saw (laughs) all of the other stuff happening so it didn't happen i don't have to believe it didn't happen (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's how i feel about it (laughs) yeah because it's like we are forced with care with frank's character to reckon with what is good or evil because we want to like reckon whether his death is justified and a lot of that is with how rocky is trying to save him at all costs even though he's been wronged by him yeah yeah right like even if we think of it as eddie's brain in rocky like eddie has no loyalty to frank doubly triply right first used him for a brain experiment then murdered him in cold freezer cold blood and cold freezer and then ate him for dessert right so like eddie has no reason to want to preserve yeah frank's body or his honor yeah yeah he reaches the top of the ladder Riff blasts him a final time, and we get this beautiful shot of them in the background, Rocky and Frank on the tower with 
riff on the left and magenta on the right in the foreground. Mm -hmm. It's this perfect triangle frame. It's so even. You're all like that's what good cinematography does for you is like (laughs) when your eyes just naturally start following where you should be paying attention because riff is directing the attention at the action that's occurring on the tower. Yes. But it's not, it's informing you too because he's pointing with the ray gun. It's just like visually so stunning. And Magenta is just observing, witnessing. This is going on longer than she had hoped. After he's reached the top, the tower falls forward into the swimming pool, Mm -hmm. and we get the stucca scream that. Which is the same sound that we got when Dr. Scott entered the lab. When his wheelchair rolled down the ramp. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a sound effect that has become its own trope because it's the sound made when a plane or something else is diving or swooping. It's a gradually rising mechanical scream that climaxes in a distinctive shrieking sound named for the siren on the German Ju-87 Stucke dive bombers in World War II as a psychological terror weapon designed to inflict panic on enemy ground forces. That would work on me. If I heard that noise, I'd be like, oh no. Yeah, it sounds like something's incoming. I don't like it. No. How fitting is it that Dr. Scott had it and that now Frank and Rocky's great fall has the same sound effect? I don't know. I like the idea that Frank and Dr. Scott knew each other. They're tied in some way, for yeah. sure. Worked together on Nazi experimentation. It's his nephew's father. Yes, could be. They're tied together in some way. Or I'm even thinking, like, what if, like, yeah, what if Frank is a man from... Human Earth. Human Earth that got abducted to observe alien life. And, like, that was also part of Nazi experimentation. Like, what if, what if... The Nazis were signaling aliens? Yes. Okay. And that's what World War II was really about, was that they contacted aliens. <laughs> and this is where, like, I realized the tinfoil has become surgically, like, implanted, implanted yes. <laughs> under my skin. Um, I'm just, okay. I need to sound like not a crazy person when I describe this conspiracy because... Because it's crazy? It's crazy. But you have to think of, like, the general population and that there are still people on the planet that think that the Earth is flat. Like, if you told them that there were aliens that humans have been in contact with for the last 50 years... It would blow your mind because you would be like, why haven't they been telling us this since the 60s and the 70s? But the reality is if they had told them in the 60s and the 70s, it would have caused such a level of mass hysteria that like they knew it had to be maintained as a government secret. 
It's literally stuff scientists have been studying since we decided to go to the moon. And like when you have private billionaires who casually fly their vintage Russian jet planes named Milan Yusk. Again, I can't sound like a crazy person when I'm explaining this. It's too late. <laughs> Do I think on some level that Elon Musk already has property on the moon? Yes. You sound like an absolute psychopath. <laughs> Just, you know, another private billionaire is doing a four-man civilian flight out of Earth's orbit. And in the interview, when asked, where can they go? Like, could they, could they go to the moon? Could they go to Mars? Like, where, where could they go? And Elon Musk responded in a way like there aren't traffic regula regulations in space yet. Like, well, they can pretty much go like wherever they want. That means Elon Musk gets to go wherever the fuck he wants in space. <laughs> if Frank is a man from the future, do I also think that Elon Musk could possibly be working on secret technology that only he knows that's being worked on that's a time machine? Of all people that are alive on the planet right now, he and Jeff Bezos are the first two people that I'm like, yeah, they definitely are like working on time machines right now. I mean, I can dig it. I, I, I actually thoroughly enjoy Ricky's conspiracy theory uh, that he gave to us. If you haven't listened to that bonus episode, please go listen to oh, it. Nice. It is wonderful. Uh, Ricky was actually like one of our first few listeners and he has listened to every episode and decided to come up with his own conspiracy theory. We're so proud. Proud I moms. Yes. I want, I ask people all the time on Instagram for their like personal conspiracy theories. Cause I want to hear like how far out it gets and how wild it gets. And his he got did not pretty wild. He did not disappoint. No, no disappointment here. Mm-mm. And yeah, he was talking about that, like, Frank and Dr. Scott worked together as Nazi scientists in World War II. And he got abducted. And that he's Eddie's dad. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it really is choose your own adventure. If you don't like that, then, like, cool. Choose to believe that he's an alien from another galaxy. Or, like, it's there to be interpreted like literally make up your own theory it's there like it's all we can all whatever personal like uh literary illusions and tropes like we only cover a fraction of the tropes that this movie plays with art is subjective yeah that's all i have to say about it steering back to <gasps> some more sane territory when they fall from the tower, this is when the stunt doubles were actually used. It's hilarious because Frank's stunt double felt the need to like macho up on set while he was cross-dressing, <laughs> which tells you about the time. Like even men in the industry that were stunt doubles, that wasn't the norm. You weren't expected to like walk on set. You gotta be a manly man. Yeah. And like... He probably expected to show up to set and doing like 
Eddie's stunt double, like being a dude in a in a motorcycle, yeah, <laughs> jacket on a motorcycle, yeah. yeah, doing some kind of stunt. But they're like, no, you're gonna get in a corset, fishnets, and heels, and um, you're gonna fall from a radio tower that's falling into a pool. You know, the normal stuff. Just it happens. Yeah, we get an underwater shot of them splashing into the pool. And Rocky is kicking and screaming the whole way down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, maybe he didn't get antimatter. See, and that's where my thing comes in of that he's immune to it. Because, like, maybe that last beam, yeah, maybe it hit him, but maybe it, like, bounced off and hit the tower and the tower broke, which like is why it fell. amplified it? Well, that it broke the tower oh. and the ta- that's why the tower fell. Because, see, when I was thinking, like, the first time I watched it, what I thought happened was the, like, tower amplified the signal. And because he was at, like, the peak of it, okay, he was getting, like, maximum electricity. That makes sense, too. But now I wonder if he, like, hits his head on, yeah, I think on the he, tower. I think it, like, his, the tower bonks him on the head, he gets knocked unconscious, and then drowns in the pool. Okay, because then the next shot we see is him floating face down in the pool. Mm-hmm. I also don't know because he was born in a tank of water. Mm-hmm. And Frank says the spark is what is the secret to life. And I'm wondering if, like, that meant electric electricity was part of Rocky being birthed. So... Could him, like, falling into the pool after getting electrocuted? Be, like, opposites and make him die? Yeah. I still think it's, like, a death ray. Yeah. <laughs> Magenta and Riff Raff stand at the edge of the swimming pool with Brad, Janet, Dr. Scott in the background. And we get a few seconds of just quiet. Everything is just like, they can't believe what they all just did and watched. Brad from the corner says, Good God. (laughs) And Riff has a cut line answering, yes. And I don't know if that's him answering to God. Yeah, like responding to like, oh, good God. Yes? Because he just killed Frank. Or if it's just like a, yeah, you saw it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in this, like, wide shot, we're getting all of their wonderful reactions At the same time, yeah. Mm -hmm. Janet, very quietly, you've killed them. And she's, like, not shocked, but, like, incredulous that, like, she met all of these people only a few hours ago. Mm -hmm. And, like, she can't believe she just watched them all die. Magenta has found this entire sequence of events quite distasteful. Sounds like Pat. <laughs> Which I don't know if that meant that she is was planning on taking them hostage. Maybe. Or maybe she was planning on just letting them all go. Yeah. Like, we're going to take Frank. He's coming with us. Everybody else can leave. Yeah. This wasn't how it was supposed to go down. Mm-hmm, because she's she was not interfering. Because I think after seeing Columbia get so immediately zapped mm-hmm. she probably riff could have probably that accidentally was her roomie. 
Well, I'm thinking he could have just as easily accidentally shot Magenta if she was like, wait, 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 wait. Hold on a minute. Yeah. (laughs) She looks at Riff Raff. She says, but I thought you liked them. They liked you. And Pat says in the commentary that these new lines that she was so excited about getting to say, finally, (laughs) the whole movie, she gets to talk. But she's so mild in her delivery. Like, she doesn't want to piss him off. But, like... I wouldn't either after that. No. But it's also, like, she's so shady, too. She could have spoken up five minutes ago. She waits until they all are dead in the pool and on the floor. And then she brings up, you might regret that decision, Riff. Did you really think that through, that they didn't like you? Because, yeah, she she says them, and I think that includes Columbia. I think so, too. Riff goes for the Oscar. They didn't like me. They, they never liked, liked me. me. And he turns painfully to the camera, and we see a, t- a single tear rolling down the side of his cheek. And this shocks Brad Janet and Dr. Scott, uh, but... Magenta's no stranger to Riff's outbursts. She probably has to listen to him complain about Frank all the time. She probably has to listen to Richard complain about (laughs) Tim all the time. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Because you can... She's not in focus in the shot, but you can see her rolling her eyes. (laughs) Even in the, like, unfocus... Uh, she's incredible, Patricia Quinn. I don't know if this is Riff revealing his key character motivation is that he wants to be liked too. And that doesn't sound like such a different motivation than Frank's, who's just looking to be liked and find a sense of belonging. Home, family. Mm Mm-hmm. And like... Love. Why did they hate each other? They're not that different. Because Riff thought that Frank thought less of him. (laughs) I think it supports Marxist theory that it's a class difference. Yes. That Frank has been put in a position of power and that alone... Like, they're never going to get along because Frank is on a higher pay grade than Riff is. He's getting more credit for the experiment. He's getting, I don't know if they're getting paid for this, but, like, he's... More recognition, even. He's getting paid in in recognition. Yeah. It doesn't have to be financial. And I wonder, too, if this is a hidden author intention or a not-so-hidden author intention as you pointed out uh he had such a turbulent relationship with still has a turbulent relationship with tim curry Mm -hmm. it just seems like he unintentionally wrote frankenfurter wanting to play him and then got cast in the role that he actually was yeah you know what i mean and he was always resentful for um tim's just attachment to the film the fact that people call it 
a Tim Curry movie. Well, not only that, but like his his like radiant personality, like he's so charming. No matter what you see Tim in, if it, if it's an interview, it's a, if it's a film, if it's even just voice acting, there's something about him that you're like, oh my gosh, like he is just he draws you in. Mm-hmm. Very magnetic. Yes, mm-hmm. and. Not so much with Richard, where we see him constantly being cast in, like, creepy villain roles. Yep. You know? And, like, like it's it's yeah. very clear that Tim had something that Richard wanted mm-hmm. that he wasn't ever going to be able to obtain. Just to touch on something that we'll get to later. Toxic masculinity Ugh. in 1975, if you could imagine, is worse than it is today. Uh... But in the early 1970s, the ideal of a, quote, hero was being reconstructed due to the social consequences of the Vietnam War. Yes. Um, there's a different time that we'll talk about this, though. Now it's now time we'd like to talk about for the creator of the co- of three. Yes. Creators. But of the, the creator of, of, like, the universe idea behind the it original songwriter mm-hmm. the original idea man he did come up with they came from denton high yes he did know he wanted to do a sci-fi tribute musical parody yeah. yeah music rock and roll yeah that he could toss all of his songs into yeah and ultimately like we're not discrediting him at all no he is a wonderful They're in a trifecta. writer, it's Jim Sharman, <laughs> Brian Thompson, and Richard O'Brien. With like you know, you have to give also credit to Richard Hartley for his arrangements. Yeah. That said, what do people do after watching the movie? They go home and they sing the songs. And who were the songs written by? Richard O'Brien. Yes. Richard O'Brien was born in 1942. Not as Richard O'Brien. <laughs> Shocker. Not even an O'Brien. Richard Timothy Smith. He was age 32 at the time of filming. And he actually immigrated with his family to New Zealand when he was 10 years old. It's funny because when we talked with Mark, he was mm-hmm. talking about how a bunch of Australian New Zealanders were going to London in the 70s. So it's funny that a bunch of them were going out to New Zealand in the early 60s, um, 50s, 60s. And his father was a sheep farmer. Yeah. So they went out for opportunity and agricultural college there. Yeah. So Richard O'Brien or Richard. <laughs> At this time, just Richard. <laughs> Richard Timothy, even. Uh, he enrolled in agricultural college. Mostly to, like, subdue his parents because they wanted him to take over the family business. So he was like, fine, I'll study agriculture. This is not where his interests lie. Absolutely not. Uh, He spent a majority of his free time at the Embassy Cinema watching science fiction double features. I can appreciate his hobby because, like, that's exactly what I love to do on my day off is go to the Frida be like oh i want to see this movie at two and there's this other movie playing at 4 30 yeah i'll make it a double feature (laughs) like absolutely you said this cinema Mm -hmm. is where the famous riffraff statue 
resides yes. in New Zealand. And it's not just the statue either. I'm sure if you've been on Instagram or social media in general, you have seen the photos oh, of yeah. this statue. There's also like... It's like a whole park. Yeah, it's like a whole park. There's like the uh, the board. The um, control panel from yes. the lab. Yeah, and it has some tactical items that you can like switch. It is and so cool yeah i want to go so bad it's on our list of places to go so i want to go to new zealand not only because of that but i also want to go because that's where the hobbits live and they still have like the the set yeah i want to go to hobbit town i mean when we go to new zealand it's all on the list (laughs) if anybody wants to show us around new zealand we won't say no mark (gasps) mark should uh hop over the waters and just yeah mark you hear that? Yeah, give us a tour of New Zealand and Australia. We'll make it a month-long trip. Yeah, Heck. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> but in 1964, this is when Richard O'Brien returned to England and started to work as a handyman while also like going on auditions, pursuing his dream of, act- of acting. And he managed to land a role in the film Carry On Cowboy due to his ability to ride horses. It was at this point when he started to get a couple roles that he decided to change his name to O'Brien mm-hmm. after his maternal grandmother. Uh, ah. Plus, Richard O'Brien is way catchier than Richard Smith. Too many Richard Smiths. Exactly. Yeah. And Richard O'Brien is like, there's a ring to it. Yes. He began taking acting classes at this point and started working at the Cambridge Theatre and then landed his first big part in 1968's Gulliver's Travels at the Mermaid Theater. In 1970, he joined the touring company of Hair, where he met a majority of our cast and crew. There's the link. Including his future wife, Kimmy Wong. I said it just a minute ago, but everything pays off. Like, he met all of the Transylvanians working on Hair, uh, met and formed a working relationship with Jim Sharman, Met and formed a working relationship with Brian Thompson, like Tim Curry. Everybody, basically, they did what hair was for Rocky Horror. Yeah. They were like, let's have lots of sexy people doing sexy alternative things that will make you question the boundaries of what's sexually acceptable. And um, yeah, and of course, he met Kimmy doing hair well and like we mentioned in a previous episode they were married in 1971 uh welcomed their son linus in 1972 and around that same time they started to record music as kimmy and ritz Mm -hmm. got moderately famous off of doing that ritz yes okay now when we're feeling casual about him we're gonna start calling him ritz (laughs) o'brien they did end up divorcing in 1979 I mean, not everything lasts. They're artists. All of them are like, they were all free love 70s hippies, Mm -hmm. you know? They were like, yeah, yeah, we had a kid, didn't work, let's move on. Yeah. So then, but also in 1972, Richard joined the stage production of Jesus Christ Superstar, which also had Jim Sharman as the director. This is where Richard met Paul Jabara, Mm -hmm. who he was the understudy for on JCS. And Paul is who eventually took over the role of Frankenfurter at the Roxy on stage for Tim Curry once he left. 
Yeah, if you haven't listened to our bonus episode with Mark Jabara, that's actually Paul's cousin, and Mm -hmm. we get a lot more in-depth on that story in that episode. And he's brilliant. Oh, so wonderful. He is the Rocky Horror fan that we thankfully have on a messenger a way <laughs> that we can be like help what is what is this thing because he has such a deep level of knowledge yeah um and just we did manage to stump him though well a couple questions that uh he did say that he he finds it reasonable that riff and magenta lord dr scott to the castle with a note written in ketchup he d- yes he did agree that that's reasonable so i mean and I like that that lends to their takeover plan. They needed <laughs> as much chaos to ensue. Yes. To distract Frank and really throw him off. So they didn't have any, anything go off uh, out of plan. But back into Richard's profile. <laughs> when Richard finally got to try his hand at his like, role in JCS. Yeah, it was uh, King Herod, I think is the role. Yes. Um, he was like, let me do this rockabilly, rock, rock and roll style, edgy, didn't, it didn't go well. They didn't (laughs) like it. they didn't like it. Is it that they fired him or they were like, you just can't do that? Yeah, they were like, you can't play that role anymore. So we're going to have you go back to your former role in the chorus line. And he was like, I'm good. Yeah. We'll talk about have like moving with action because he left the show and then started working on his own project that came from Denton High, which evolved into the Rocky Horror Show. With much help from Jim Sharman. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So he pitched the idea to Jim while Jim was working on a different production. He had it. I don't know. I don't know if he knew he had a good idea or if he was just like, I'm just going to invest in myself. I'm just going to like take this time to yeah, work on my project. I honestly think that that's more of what it was, was like, because he had his young son. He had Linus. Mm-hmm. So he was like, well, I'm going to go hang out with my wife and my son and might as well work on this too. You know? Okay. So, okay. I like well, that's kind of sweet if you think of it as like a dad's passion project yeah. that he's like hanging out with his baby at home and is just like fiddling around on the guitar. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he he speaks really well of his son. They yes. sound like they still have a really good relationship. So, And he speaks really well of Kimmy. He's not like, they're, again, free love hippies. <laughs> Nothing phases him. <laughs> uh, and after Rocky Horror's success, Richard attempted to write a few different sequels, um, but nothing... Nothing really stuck. No. We have Revenge of the Old Queen. We have Rocky Shows His Heels. Uh-huh. Neither of those were uh, taken too seriously by 20th Century Fox. They were like, no, boo, no. Try again. However... In 1981, he did finally get the green light for the Rocky Horror sequel slash equal shock treatment. Yes. It did not go... (laughs) Similarly to Rocky Horror, was not well received upon release. And its cult following has been interesting. Very interesting. But we'll get into it later. Don't worry. 
1983, Richard married his second wife, Jane Moss, who he had two children with, Joshua and Amelia. They divorced in 2002. And uh, he's just had like, other than uh, a million credits. Because yeah. he just stayed active. He was like, I'm TV, an actor. TV, movie, stage, ev- everything. Everything. To name a few, he did Flash Gordon in 1980, as we previously mentioned. Robin Hood on TV in 1986. He did a stage production of Little Shop of Horrors in 1986. Uh, Spice World. Ever After a Cinderella Story in 1998. Elvira's Haunted Hills, which was the sequel to the first Elvira movie. He did a stage production of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. He was the voice of the father and a few other characters on Phineas and Ferb from 2007 to 2014. And just a million more. And then he was also, he hosted the UK game show, The Crystal Maze, from 1990 to 1993 yeah it made him like a household name in the uk like he was like famous Mm -hmm. and we're going to watch all of crystal maze yes we're gonna do it i'm really excited we're gonna we're we're planning to watch it we still haven't watched it yet but don't worry we're going to watch it we've been waiting for a reason (laughs) but they use the crystal dome from the game show as that glowing orb that's outside of the castle, which we, I think we talked about this in episode three-ish. Yeah. Because did you right know the castle's there. a hotel now? <laughs> in the 90s, he released an album called Absolute O'Brien. And that deserves a hair flip, I think. <laughs> which featured songs from his new show, Disgracefully Yours. He appeared at a festival in Santa Monica in 1999 to perform a set of songs from this album. And, in, and he also did a couple of numbers from Rocky Horror with some cast members from Midnight Insanity at the time. Yeah, as yeah. backup singers. That's, How freaking cool is that? That's so fucking cool. That's so fucking cool. <laughs> then in 2013, Richard married a third time to his wife, Sabrina, who he's still currently living happily with in New Zealand. Yes. This is where it gets complicated because, yes. as we mentioned a moment ago, he's a man that was born in 1942. Mm-hmm. We have hours of content to interpret what Richard O'Brien's upbringing was like and the kind of person that he is. And, um, I mean, just it comes to mind shock treatment. He holds a mirror up to Jessica Harper and literally has a woman inside of his body and he sings about wanting to wear a dress and that's all he's ever wanted. And that's what Frank sings too. Yeah. Is he just wanted to be dressed just the same? What we're basically trying to say is as much as we sing his praises and we praise his work, uh, it is really, really, really important for everyone in the LGBT community and everyone in general to understand that things that are said are hurtful and can hurt entire groups of people. Uh, He's made some very offensive statements and uh, we're going to talk about them 
right because now. it's part of it's part of his story it's part of who he is now yeah and yeah we do ultimately sing his lyrics every week we should know who the person is yeah he's often talked about his own gender fluid identity calling himself quote third sex and saying quote i believe myself probably to be about 70 percent male 30 percent female and that he quote would like to have an other box to tick on forms for gender with that being said he's also made some pretty turfy comments and if you're not uh if you're not in the know of what turf means it's trans exclusionary radical feminism which means people just look up jk rowling if you don't know what that is <laughs> yeah it's, it's people who don't think that trans women should be included in feminism in the the movement toward getting equal rights and equal pay for women and they believe that trans women should not be looked at as women he has said in the past that just because you've had surgery, it doesn't make you a woman. Uh, a direct quote being, you can't be a woman. You can be the idea of a woman. You're in the middle and there's nothing wrong with that. I certainly wouldn't have the wedding tackle taken off. That is a huge jump and I have all the sympathy in the world for anyone who does it, but you aren't a woman. So those comments speak for themselves. Yes. And, uh... You know, choose to feel how you want to feel about that, knowing that this is a movie that we, like, obsess over and love, and that it's complicated. It's, it's complicated. It's very complicated. And that he is a complicated individual. It's complicated that he's the writer of this. And it's complicated that we feel for Frank dying at the end of the movie, even after seeing him commit terrible crimes throughout the movie. Like, it's complicated. Yes. And in the commentary, uh, well, really, you can read the Rocky Cult book. You can read any interview he's ever done. You can listen to him on the commentary. He definitely feels that he's been sidelined in the in the history of of Rocky Horror. And he doesn't feel like he's the he doesn't get enough credit for it. Um, and he famously has feuds with Jim Sharman and Brian Thompson that have lasted for decades. decades that may still be ongoing for all I know. They may still not talk. It'd be a shame that they created such a masterpiece together and it's a shame that they aren't on a talking basis with each other yeah if that's the case uh but on the commentary he noted that he was allowed his voice on the production uh, of the filming but it was no more important than anyone else's as it should be i mean he's part of a team he's a collaborator like it's it's not like it's not like the room where Tommy Wiseau was the only financial backer. He was the only creative, quote, creative, on the team that he was taking creative direction from mm -hmm. was himself. 
Like, then you can say it's Tommy Wiseau's The Room, but it's also not, he should be, I would, how I want to say it is I would hope Richard is enough of a fan. Like, we see Pat and Nell and Barry still be such fans of the material and can really include themselves in that group that it's a shame that because he's holding this like grudge almost that it, he's like excluding himself from enjoying this mm-hmm. while he's alive and able to participate in GalaxyCon interviews or anything like I mean it's hard to say if we want him even yeah you know it's it's complicated it's very complicated it has opened the eyes of so many young trans individuals mm-hmm. that there is another route for them to take and that there is that option of maybe I do want to wear clothes of another gender. Maybe I do want to identify as something else. And yet he's taking a step back and saying, well, you can do that, but you can never call yourself a real woman. That's it's It's hurtful and it's very problematic and... It's we an wanted dated it's a very outdated thought and mentality we, we wanted that we to make internet. sure that you guys understand what this person's view, viewpoint is you're absolutely right it affects the people that have been directly affected by his work yes dr scott breaks the tension by from the far end of the stage <laughs> saying you, you did right he like offers him like a like a weird like hand gesture it's like he leans forward like i don't know what would have happened if dr scott hadn't interrupted riffraff having a moment if they would have if he would have turned around and shot all three of them or if they would have completely forgotten that they were there and just taken the whole everybody yeah and just like walked away or would they have slowly turned and looked at them i have no idea did they have i don't think they planned to dispatch brad and janet uh like they knew how they could use them as pawns for the plan inside the castle but i don't think that they thought it all the way through to Mm. the end like i don't think they knew what to do with them after their plan had been completed (laughs) oh we have to talk to these people (laughs) like (laughs) the humans they're still here um i don't know if dr scott is trying to talk himself out, like if he thinks that he's the next to get shot with the laser gun? Probably. Um, Or do you think he really thought Frank deserved to die? Uh, Maybe a little both. Because, you know, he is the rival of Mm -hmm. Frank, so he's maybe he's like, did my job for me. Because I'm wondering what Dr. Scott loses or gains from Frank being out of the picture. Um, because he's been observing the whole castle. He's been taking, you know, mental notes of the whole layout, whatever alien technology he can recognize. He's like remembering for sure. (laughs) Um, but if Dr. Scott and Frank are the same person. (laughs) Rag on this one. It's like, uh, like a Jekyll and Hyde moment of like. Is this Dr. Scott renouncing the fishnets and renouncing the evening that like started as a fun orgy out in the woods and turned into 
him in a blind rage murdering his nephew and one of his robot assistants in a murderous rage murdering his nephew's girlfriend who happens to be there if he's like it's good that we're that i'm giving up frankenfurter and i'm not going to be moonlighting as frankenfurter <laughs> anymore because you're right i was out of control or is it dr scott simply being like well he got rid of my rival for me mm-hmm. so now i don't have to worry about competing with him anymore mm-hmm. he's out of the picture i can take the information that I've gotten from this walkthrough and uh, I came out on top. Because then also if if we're going with the theory that Frank was maybe an associate that got abducted and brought back, it would make sense for Dr. Scott to be like, no, clearly he was changed by the abduction yeah. and is um, reckless on earth mm-hmm. and it need it does need to be contained yeah if we were shadow casting this scene brad janet dr scott have been witnessing it all unfolding so i'm just kind of like hanging out on stage left with my brad and dr scott mm-hmm. but since we get the moment of everybody looking at frank and rocky going up the ladder up the tower we get this collective experience where everybody in the entire theater house is all looking at the same focal point. Mm-hmm. Frank, our shadow cast performers will be center stage, mimicking. They're watching along too. Yes. Um, we'll have Riff and Magenta do their framing of Frank and Rocky. Standing on either side of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that way when... Riff comes over to approach us. He just can cross across the stage, point that ray gun right in Dr. Scott's face. Usually Dr. Scott will jerk it off to some capacity. Yeah, my favorite is um, when our Dr. Scott does like a handshake on the laser gun. (laughs) Because he does like reach out. Yeah, as if to, like, shake hands with Riff, and Riff, like, points the gun at him. And so, like, sometimes our Dr. Scott will, like, shake the ray gun. And it's it's the funniest thing to me. I, I can't explain why I think it's so funny, but it's just, oh. Yeah, and we stay there. Riff and Magenta will mimic the placing of them. Uh, and we'll stay there until they dismiss us. <laughs> It's like this whole scene is is pretty uh, straight from screen, honestly. Yeah, and it's also like you feel like you're floating, and it's not just because it's almost three in the morning. <laughs> um, it like almost feels natural at this point. Everything is so dreamlike. Like everything is kind of moving at like a strange pace. It doesn't make sense that Rocky and Frank don't try to get away in a more logical escape path like they're like they have the nightmare logic of run up run up even though like literally where are they gonna go yeah when we talked to my partner about uh, her thoughts on the movie she was like i don't know this part just sucks (laughs) it really just sucks because you you realize like this is where the horror kicks in and it's really terrifying because you grow to care about all these people Mm -hmm. and then they're Mm -hmm. all ripped from you. Yes. 
Yes. And it doubles in the in the in the movie Cinema House where you've gotten attached to the performers doing the sh- the whole shebang. You get attached to your Frank. You're charmed by your Frank throughout the lab scene. You're rooting for Rocky. You're rooting for Columbia. Like you you fall in love with the performers in addition to the characters that are in the movie. Yeah, Frank and Rocky will do like a co- like they spin off stage when they fall into the pool just so they can leave. Yeah. Riff Raff slowly turns <laughs> to look at the group still on stage as does Magenta and he slowly approaches Dr. Scott with the laser and this is like a, I love this movie for the camera shots like these this is what I'm I'm cherishing about going through it in the way that we have because this shot of from Riff crying and Magenta having her I thought he I thought you liked them um it's all one shot yeah through to the end of Dr. Scott and and the gang leaving mm-hmm. but it gets broken up with Riff crossing in front of the screen so you feel like you're getting two shots in one uh, but the camera pans as he crosses near them and then magenta follows behind it's such a smart shot sushitsky's camera work is just chef's kiss yeah That's why he's like, an asc yes yeah he's def he has a, an incredible eye for pacing and for like natural eye movement mm-hmm. of like how he changes the focus how he changes the just oh Brad and Janet are like they straighten up and start to like back away from all directions because Riff is now approaching them with the gun and Dr. Scott may be going rogue right now. Yeah, he's the one who's <laughs> drawing the attention of the yeah. murderous guy. <laughs> and like Susan is just like she's grabbing Barry's thigh. It's very comfortable. Um their physical affection has improved vastly from Dammit Janet. It blows my mind when I think about them being the same characters from the beginning to the end cuz they just like take on their own lives of their own. Like I think of Dammit Janet, Janet and Brad, <laughs> and then I think of Castle, Brad and Janet, and then I think of Lab Scene, Brad and Janet. Like I feel like I get these little vignettes with each of them. Yeah. That I forget that um, it's the same character arc. And yes. Like they're going through a massive change from where they were mere hours ago. Mm-hmm. Riff says to Dr. Scott, a decision had to be made. And he made it. <laughs> hmm But okay. It's a strange response. I'm just going to say it sounds robotic, but I'm not going to argue about it right now because I have another idea about why it sounds robotic. Dr. Scott does the big sellout, offers his hand to Riff, says, you're okay by me. And of course, Dr. Scott's going to be like, yeah, you murdered somebody. You're, you're totally fine by me because uh, he's a Nazi doctor. <laughs> That's what he does. Yeah, his, his threshold of acceptable acts is very low. <laughs> um, Janet's like watching this exchange going on. Brad only is watching the ray gun because he is convinced that it's working. I'm not. But he's, at least Brad's convinced that that is maybe what killed Frank, Rocky, and Columbia. 
I'm convinced that it's what killed Columbia and Frank. I'm not convinced that it's what killed Rocky. Riff does not shake Dr. Scott's hand. He instead says, Dr. Scott, I'm sorry about your dot 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 nephew. Which is like such a weird, okay. <laughs> Does Riff know something he that we don't know? He gave us all the know? chance to lean in. But like, why does he say it like that? Is it not really his nephew? Mm. Mm. Like, was, does he know that there's something else going on between Dr. Scott and, and, and Eddie? Like, what? why does he say it like that? It makes me feel disgusting is he just like i'm sorry that i drew you here to the castle mm-hmm. and if they made and like made you eat your own nephew like yes. this is like why why is it said like that okay might be a robot response <laughs> okay could be that riff has programmed responses that when he's talking to dr scott he has to like recalibrate because he may not remember the family association, just that he's family and he sang a whole song about him. What did, <laughs> what did he say? Was he his son? Was he his... And, okay, I've, I've been reading a couple of scholarly articles for finishing the research. And in one of the articles, they mistakenly credit Eddie as Dr. Scott's son. Mm. So, like, it's even something that So it could we now... just be not a robot thing just like a i don't know this person very well i don't remember your family ties yeah he's like i literally just met you tonight yeah you were part of my plan to take over but it's just because i knew you had this thing with frank like i had no idea that you knew eddie i didn't know that he was your nephew i didn't know that there was any relation no he there. did know he did know that eddie okay but then he would know that he's his, his nephew because he wrote the note maybe wrote the note right so then but it's like he just knows that there's, like, a tie there. He doesn't know, like, he's like, I don't know, you you seem to know him, so, like. Is the note addressed to Dr. Scott? No, it literally says, I'm out of my head, oh, hurry, or I may be dead. So, like, Dr. Scott could just have, so, okay, that note, I still like that it's Riff and Magenta lure him there under the pretenses that Eddie has written this note to Dr. Scott. But it doesn't but even say it's, like, he to could have him written at that all. note to Columbia. He could have written that note to Frankenfurter. It could be to anyone, because it just says, like, that, and then, like, I think it says Eddie at the bottom. Yeah, love Eddie. Yeah. He could be writing lyrics to a song. He he may have been, like, half lucid and was just writing, like, lyrics, and that's why they, they rhyme, was Eddie was writing another song while sitting, hanging out in the fridge. But... If Dr. Scott and Frank are the same person, it would make sense why Riff is like, I don't know how to associate Eddie. Or I don't, I'm sorry about your, how to describe the current state of the person that you came to check on. They were like, actually, I just killed your nephew because he's in, his brain is in Rocky's body. So I'm just apologizing to the next of kin because I literally just killed what was left over of your nephew. But if it's Frankenverter, then it's like, I'm sorry, I don't know how to apologize about any of this. I'm sorry about your... Mm. Yeah, this is weird. I had to, like, control your dark side, maybe. (laughs) If that's what it is. If Frankenverter is Dr. Scott's, like, evil other side... His, his inner saboteur. 
Riff controlling the entire situation meant ending the secret double life. Dr. Scott says, Eddie, yes, well, perhaps it was for the best. (laughs) And I mean, so in Eddie's teddy, in Eddie's... What is this reaction? No, no, no. Here, hear me out. In Eddie's song, in Eddie's teddy, he does talk a lot of crap about him, where he's like... He's gone down a path of... He's a bad dude. Mm -hmm. He's my nephew, but, like, he's a bad, not a good person. So, like, I kind of get it, because it's like, he's like, "Eh, yeah, I cared about him because he was my nephew, but, like, also, eh, you know what I mean? So, like, I kind of understand... It was the 70s. (laughs) They had no familial attachment. Toxic masculinity ran amok. Not to to rock and roll drug addicts. That's not my nephew. I just think it's like the most pussyfooting, backpedaling response. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just don't don't shoot me next. Yeah. I'm fine with whatever. I'm in survival mode. Like, I just need to get out of here and we can... We'll call it even. Let me, let's let the remaining standing go. And I don't know if Dr. Scott's trying to like negotiate either. Okay. If I remove all my tinfoil, he's just a rival high school teacher, UFO enthusiast who's been observing Frankenfurter this whole time. He's like negotiating on behalf of the group of like, I'm, I, I, I have the most the degrees aliens. here. I can talk to the aliens. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, Riff Raff says, you must leave now, Dr. Scott, while it's still possible. Which gets everybody's attention again. They don't know if that means he's going to... I don't know what he means. I don't know if he means that he would shoot them if they didn't leave. Or if he's going to, like, it's it's on a countdown. It's yes. literally going to take off and you don't have much time left because we already set it for takeoff. I like that idea of, like... Well, we didn't know what we were going to do with them. So if they stay or go, like, mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> they probably have some use for them on transsexual, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, that would be a whole movie in of its in and of itself of Brad and Janet trying to, like, assimilate to Transylvanian life. Right. That would be so fun. Ugh. He continues. We're about to beam the entire house back to the planet of transsexual in the galaxy of transylvania so we finally get the full it's not explanation it's not romania where we thought they maybe were like dracula inspired they're from a completely different like galaxy galaxy since it's a house does that mean that they did have a telephone <laughs> the whole time. The whole time. And Riff was like, he could have helped them. Because castles don't have phones, but houses do. And Riff now said that this is a house and not a castle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That supports that as soon as the time warp begins, Riff and Magenta will actually... No, it's Magenta who has the idea. She says, we're all lucky, signaling to him... This is literally the overtaking, overthrowing plan that we've been waiting to set in action. We've just needed two two extra folks to toss into the madness mm-hmm. to get it in, get it going. 
Because then I wonder if when Dr. Scott's talking about an audio vibratory molecular device, if he too is asking to use the telephone. He's just being overly complicated and scientific about it. Right. (laughs) I mean, have we read his statement? (laughs) Riff just casually like looks over to Magenta, who's been waiting to hear that they're going home this whole movie. She smiles in ecstasy because finally they get to return. And Brad, Janet, and Dr. Scott respond in the exact way I believe humans would respond to aliens saying, we're going back to another planet now. Just no response. (laughs) How do you respond to that? It's so absurd that like, and also, like we get the Dr. Scott reveal of aliens at the dinner party, but to get this kind of like new information of like, we're going back to our planet, our home planet in a different galaxy, it Get, it like explains away all of the nonsense. So anything that throughout the movie you were like, that didn't make sense. That was an inconsistency. That was weird. That was a strange acting choice. I don't know why that happened in the movie. Whatever happened, you can't fault them for. You can't fault Riff for shooting Frank and, and Columbia and Rocky because we don't really know what the technology is. See, this is where my theory comes in of them, like, transsexual Transylvania is an inside joke. Okay. Like, they're from the future, or they're from literally just somewhere else, or I don't know, something else. Like, they live on a spaceship or something. I don't know. But, like, I don't think that there's an actual planet called transsexual in the galaxy of Transylvania. I don't think any of that exists. I think that that is literally an inside joke that they came up with. they use yeah sure so like if they're from the future and they like joke around with frank like oh yeah what's what are we gonna tell him like oh we're from transsexual transylvania (laughs) you know like that's what i think is like that's not a real place that's just the terms that they use well again it's all absurd yes and what are they gonna do look on a map and see what the name of the galaxy is like it's dr scott has the map (laughs) well now he knows so now that's a good point dr scott knows where the aliens have landed from if he's going to if like a another movie were to occur like a sequel to <laughs> were to occur it would make sense for dr scott to have furthered his research now with the new information that and he's... tried to find transsexual transylvania there we go that would be a good movie of like back to the future style brad janet dr scott travel a time to... machine yes yep. to get more answers yep because they are uh will find lost in the meaning of it so maybe they go to find what it all meant explain it to us why why were you observing us why were why were you here why'd you pick us etc riff raff continues go now so magenta and riff are definitions of the trope human aliens which means their internal physiology may be very different from us human beings, but it suggests that all living things in the universe, if it is from the same universe, like if transsexual Transylvania isn't just in like the Andromeda galaxy, if it's like so much further away. Like an alternate universe. Like an alternate universe. Um, But if they are from the same universe, it would support that they... That there's like a greater creator 
if there's similarly evolving life beings. beings. Yeah. Right. Or that could also mean that they're travelers from the future. Or they could be robot or like cyborgs. If if you want to think like, okay, so I went on this this tangent with Katie the other day of like, there's so much like modern technology that gets surgically implanted to assist people for a myriad of reasons, like pacemakers and cochlear implants. What if in like 10, 15 years, they're like, yeah, you can breathe in outer space if you have these like bionic lungs or right. whatever. Exactly. Exactly. If like, or you have this uh, implant that allows you to now process hydrogen or as whatever. Oxygen or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Where does that draw the line of like human versus cyborg? And like, could that possibly be what Rift and Magenta are? Could they be humans that have bionic improvements that allow them to space travel? What if it evolves to being having a, like a whole different set of internal organs to be able to live on the moon? Mm-hmm. For example, if you need to have a certain device installed in your heart and your lungs and your kidneys and all of it. Is that actually like the human species still? I think if we still have the ability to procreate, then yes. Okay. Which, okay. So if Riff and Magenta are these cyborg beings, right? And that is why the females of Transylvania cannot reproduce is because... They've evolved out of that. Yes due to like lack of needing to reproduce exactly exactly it would it would give at least one theory on one of them on the possible missions they're on janet pushes brad who pushes dr scott off screen (laughs) and the camera then tracks in and zooms on magenta and riff who just smile we get this uh, shot of Frank floating face down in the pool with his eyes open. It's like a really creepy shot, honestly. Yes, it is. Okay, it's, that's it. Okay, I'm glad that you said that because I was thinking of it as horror fuel. Like, yeah. We've fallen in love with Frankenfurter by this point of the movie. We've been charmed by Tim Curry, actually. Mm-hmm. We've felt moved by Tim Curry's actual performance that seeing him face down is like a gut punch. Yeah. Plus, on top of that, we get like this echoey underwater magenta cackle. And it's just like super creepy and like Mm -hmm. gives you like the spine chill. Yes, because then it is kind of evil. Then it is like they murdered him and left him for dead and they're not gonna pull him out of the pool they don't even they don't respect frank that much no because they just leave him floating in the pool which makes me wonder if he got teleported and his human body doesn't matter and that's why they're like whatever or they just stays here or goes don't care about frank anymore they're like we're literally done with you goodbye yeah i think that yes yeah i still just want the ray gun to be like faulty and that riff thinks 
that he's capable of a takeover, but it's really just because every piece of the plan went off without a hitch as opposed to him being weaponized. And that is why he had a successful takeover. It's like, no, Frank was prideful. You just want Couldn't, Frank in no. a sequel. Well, well kind of. <laughs> I want there to be a possibility. But it's also like, it says something about Frank's character that he doesn't take the shot. He doesn't stand there and 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 take takes it. He does run away. He yeah, that's literally... what makes me think that like either they both know that it's like a death ray or that like I don't if it is faulty, neither of them know it. If it is a t- transportation device, neither of them know it because like yes, he has terror in his eyes and he runs away. Yes, because yeah, I agree that it's like the stakes are high and he believes that that it did get Columbia. I don't know. I just think I I have to like peel back the tin foil sometimes because yep. it's like it's dark in here. I can't. What time <laughs> is it? Um, I finally won her over, guys. <laughs> because Frank looks pretty dead. Oh yeah. And because that's why I'm saying like ultimately he dies. Ultimately, whether it's from falling and hitting his head or he got zapped by the antimatter gun. He's done. He's dead. So like, I think it matters more for for Riff's character whether or not the ray gun actually works because like, I think it's important that Frank dies because it's something that's like unifies every watcher of the movie. We all go like, oh. Well, not only that, but it also is super important in the plot itself because it snaps the rest of the group out of Frank's spell. Mm. It allows Riff and Magenta to leave to go back to transsexual. Mm -hmm. Like, it is a major plot point in the film. Yeah. I keep trying to figure out uh, who, what killed Frank like I'm playing Clue. (laughs) (laughs) I know it was Riff in the ballroom, but was it the ray gun or was it by natural causes? I don't know. They're laughing, Riff and Magenta, because they're not going to do anything about Frank. Riff turns to Magenta, he says, Our noble mission is almost completed, my most beautiful sister. (laughs) Soon... We will return to the moon-drenched shores of our beloved planet. What would Riffin Magenta's mission be if it's different from Frank's? So, I think this is a self-appointed mission. I think hmm. this is, we gotta get back to our home planet. Or we gotta get back to our wherever we're from. Okay, that's Wizard of Oz. That's Dorothy needing to return home. We get it, and it's almost a romantic moment. Like, it feels sweet, and you're like, ugh, why is he, why am, ew, why is that sweet? Why is he stroking her cheek gently? Gently. (laughs) And I don't know if this was, like, a through line with shock treatment, because there's a line in Thank God I'm a Man. Mm. The men should be the misters and masters of their sisters. There is a very interesting cut line. Yes. So... Riff was supposed to say the moon-drenched shores of our androgynous beloved planet. 
Oh. That would, that's a, a good reveal. I think it's on the nose. If it, it, I get why they cut it because it leaves a little bit more to be interpreted. But if they truly are transsexual, if they have evolved their sex organs away from procreation, yeah, and they're just a similar species to human beings whose sex organs literally just do not work. What about those frogs that like they're all female except for when they need to procreate and then one of them turns into a male have yeah, you heard like, about that like hermaphroditic yeah yeah how it, traits that are shown in animal species it's and insane so they're all males on transsexual except for when they need to procreate magenta turned into a female but she's like no get away from me <laughs> and so that's why frank is looking for someone else to impregnate okay so I'm not going to disagree with you because I have a similar theory. I don't think she's the only woman in Transylvania. But so she says to Riff, Ah, sweet transsexual land of night to sing and dance once more to your dark refrains. And in the background, a dark refrain of its own begins. The background score... I already gushed about how much I love just all of the arrangements in this sequence. But there's like twinkling piano keys Mm -hmm. and like soft chords being played. And it's very reminiscent of when we would get the elbow sex between Riff and Magenta. Yeah, there's like maybe xylophone in there. It's what their theme has kind of been leading up to. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of sad. It's like it's somber. Yeah. music and it lends to like the nightmarishness of this almost dream sequence it feels like like okay 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 so riff and magenta are having this conversation right the criminologist is piecing together the events of the night based on brad janet and dr scott's statements are we to believe that they heard them well, th- this isn't in the statements. This isn't no in the statements. They don't no. talk about Riff and Magenta talking. Mm-mm. So how would the crim know that it's included in the story? And how would we as the audience know that it's... See, I don't think that what we're seeing is crim telling us the story. I think crim interjects with uh-huh. like his input, but I don't think it's him telling us the story. Is he watching the movie too? Because I'm trying to think if like, is Krim a human or a Transylvanian? Like, yes, if he's a human. Like, I like thinking that this is all the Krim's interpretation of what happens of the night. And that's the story that we're getting. But then it's moments like this where, and and that Magenta and Columbia are watching Tetcha. Those aren't things that anybody would be privy to. No. Exactly, which is why I'm like, I think that it's just him giving his input from the statements that have been given by Brad, Janet, and Dr. Scott, because Dr. Scott could give him the info on Eddie that he had, because it's his nephew. Mm -hmm. So he could be like... But how did he get all those, the pictures from Ralph and Betty's... Hey, Ralph and Betty, do you have wedding photos? I mean, yeah, it's an investigation, but then like... See, and this is why the movie is what it is. 
because how can you explain elements of it? There's so many, like, interpretations. There's so many different, like, meanings to be fucking interpreted from it that, like... Okay, but we're not even done. No. This is the most we've heard Magenta talk all movie. She's got her iconic magenta eyes where she's, like, rolling her eyes up. Her iconic smile... Which, we were just talking about the lips. Like, her lips are so iconic. And in regard to the cut line, being an androgynous planet, like, science fiction double feature was Richard O'Brien's voice go filtered through Patricia Quinn's lips. Mm-hmm. So literally an androgynous We're getting androgynous, message. yeah, lips. Yeah. So it's like, I get why they cut the line, but it's like, it lends to transsexual transylvania being an ultra evolved uh because i want i wanted to talk about what transylvania is like like what could what is it like okay so from both riff and magenta's statements in the last 15 seconds he says moon drenched shores and she says land of night so would it be like in Alaska or wherever where it's like 30 days of night you know like Mm -hmm. the sun never rises or like 30 days of day where it's like they get only light for a certain amount of time maybe they're they're... so far away from a sun yes that they're or they're like on top of a, a planet or something like their civilization is kind of on the axis or near the axis so they don't get light as often as other parts They're just of their not planet rotations around any sun science very often yeah right. um so in any case it seems like their planet is in darkness most of the time or at least their civilization is in darkness most of the time so that would lead me to believe that frank is referring to earth in i'm going, I'm going home. home about blue skies yes yeah okay yeah because if it's night or dark, or whatever, on transsexual, he wouldn't get blue skies. So maybe Frank has come here and found home. And he didn't want to go back to transsexual. And he said, I'm going home because he's like... It literally is the opposite situation environmentally. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's never seen blue skies. He's never seen the sun. He's never... Yeah, moon-drenched shores... I have an idea of what Transylvania is like, and it comes from season one, episode seven of Rick and Morty, mm. the Gazorpazorp episode, um, which everybody I'm sure has seen because Rick and Morty <laughs> is just like so good. They are in like an intergalactic pawn shop and Rick purchases Morty a robot sex doll. <laughs> After Morty spends an afternoon using it, it started beeping and then transformed into a floating robotic orb that tries to, like, fly out of the house and then spits out a gazorpazorp baby. Quote, this is Rick. I think Morty's robot was designed for more than long weekends. Genetic compiler, incubation chamber. Yep, this here's some kind of baby maker. That there's half Morty, half who knows what. 
Then he Rick takes the orb to the garage to figure out where it's from because they got it at a pawn shop. He doesn't know where it's from. Uh, finds that the home of the sex robot is Gazorpazorp in the Andromeda system. And he and Summer teleport to the planet's surface, which is actively in a battleground scenario yes. with primitive cavemen, Gazorpian, like they're aliens with extra an extra set of arms coming out of their heads too. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And like as soon as they see Summer, they're like make a beeline towards her. Right. So Rick uh, is like, great, now I have to take over the whole planet because of your stupid boobs. And she responds, what's the deal with this place? Why is it such a sausage planet? And how did such backwards idiots invent robots? Because they still think that the, this orb is from these cave, these primitive cavemen. Rick responds, obviously at some point, the Gazorpians became so evolved that they replaced females with birthing machines. The resultant lack of distraction and henpecking allowed them to focus entirely on war, so they bombed themselves back to the Stone Age, and now they just fight with each other over fake pussy with sticks and rocks all day long. A spaceship arrives, dumps hundreds of these these sex robots into the, the uh, battleground, and then they immediately all get sucked back up into it. So Rick is like, ah... There's where the home of the robots come from. So they shoot a, like a, like a grappling hook <laughs> at it and they attach themselves. They go up into the thing to find where all these pregnant orbs are going. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. when they get there, guess what? It's where all the female Gazorpazorpians are. Exactly. When they're traveling, Rick makes the assumption that it appears the lower tier of the society is being manipulated through sex and advanced technology by a hidden ruling class. Sound familiar? That wasn't me saying sound familiar. Rick says sound familiar, um, which I'm also saying sound familiar. (laughs) Uh, They meet the many gorgeous women, Gazorpian women. They're like Amazon, tall, gorgeous empathetic they're asking each other i'm here for you if you need to talk that's like like they're greeting (laughs) yeah (laughs) summer's like what is this place and the alien woman says we built it during the great passive aggression so good when females separated from the males due to their increasingly destructive behavior from here we dispense mechanical surrogates to maintain our population Fertilized surrogates are returned here to our nursery. The females are then placed into educational programs where they can discover a service to our paradise that fulfills them most. Males, they put a male baby gazorpian in like a slingshot. (laughs) They fling it outside of the spaceship and she says, males get to play outside. It's uh, then revealed that Earth is still patriarchal and is yet another planet dominated by men, they say. Rick says, on Earth, men and women are equals. Summer says, equals? We make 70% of your salary for the same job. And this gets them imprisoned because they're like, what? Women are not being treated equally on your planet? Then you must both die. They finally, like, Summer talks them out of it by explaining... She explains them out of getting executed 
by saying maybe on your planet separation of the genders is the right thing to do but on earth a certain percentage of our males are born gay which is why my clothes are better than all of yours (laughs) (laughs) and uh, they're allowed to leave she says give the earth people a spacecraft so they may head back to their weird planet where women are kind of equal but not really it's just uh, that's the story of how summer got a pink spaceship exactly And Rick makes the comment, isn't it interesting that after all that stuff we just did, nothing really matters and there's no point to it? Kind of makes you wonder about uh, nothing. (laughs) And this is what I have, like, when I saw this episode of Rick and Morty, this was my everything is Rocky Horror moment. I was like, that is, that makes sense for Transylvania to be a completely matriarchal, evolved society where they've outsourced pregnancy to surrogates because of the stress toll and literal physical labor that childbirth requires of a woman Mm -hmm. and the only reason that's not how it is is because men don't get pregnant if men got pregnant surrogate robots would have been a thing of the 50s and 60s you know what i mean (laughs) yeah well, and then to me, it would make sense that if Frank is the queen's son, mm-hmm. instead of going outside to play with the boys, she's like, you can go to this other planet and hang out there because you're yes. my son. So you get special treatment. Yes. And if he's a prince, this is where my Elon Musk comes back around, he would have the wealth and ability and status to casually travel to another planet and make it his play place but i think that more than that it would be like god my son i can't let him outside to play with the boys because i don't want him to die because look i mean look at him he's frail he's he's he wears my clothes he wears my heels i don't want him to get killed by the others so uh, i'll tell him that he has a special mission to go to earth and observe and report and i'll just let him live there i love that because that lends into why he doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere. Because if the men of transsexual Transylvania have regressed to primitive cavemen technology because all they can care about is bombing each other and uh, participating in the, the nuclear arms race, I guess it would be <laughs> if it's, if it would be, I don't know what they're, eh, doesn't matter. But... <laughs> I also liked that Rocky could be like a sex robot that's designed to impregnate women. Okay. And that Frank, that's his mission, is being sent to Earth to design a sex robot like Riff and Magenta are sex robots. A Transylzorpian sex robot. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) And that they need to make sure that it works. Because then once they have that technology, they're going to just send more copies of Rocky down to just wildly impregnate whatever women he meets. Okay. So, okay, so she she says to sing and dance once, once more to your dark refrains and take that step to the right. So that means the time warp is the dark refrains that she's referring to because she starts saying the steps to the time warp to take that step to the right. Ha! 
they both do their wide out step and we immediately cut to inside the ballroom back that earlier same ballroom earlier in the, the night. same shot that we got earlier of Annabelle, Annabelle Pamela and Imogen uh-huh just doing a step to the right mm-hmm. and then we cut back to Riff and Magenta so everyone is like wait was that like a like a skip in the DVD disc like why did we just get that like blip of time warp riff continues but it's the pelvic thrust (laughs) and they thrust toward each other and then we get fully sent back into the ballroom time warp scene and they continue that really drives you insane and we're seeing annabelle pamela and imogen again then we get rufus kimmy christopher and perry doing the time warp then we cut out to the line of the transylvanians doing the time warp brad and janet in the background observing and then riff and magenta doing an extended elbow sex dance around in front of the camera and it's like are we time warping back to the earlier events of the movie or is this just is reiterating a, the fact that all of these people were aliens. Yeah. Explaining why they were there. Explaining why we had a fun ballroom scene with 30 extras that you didn't know you needed to care about. Magenta continues. And our world will do the time warp again. <laughs> and we- they do a elbow sex together like a high five. <laughs> And they burst out laughing and, like, kind of hustle run Mm -hmm. away. But you hear them continuing to laugh throughout the halls of the castle, echoing over the music. Like, even as we cut outside of and see Brad and Janet running away, we can still hear them laughing as they take off. One of the articles I've been reading is Kincaid's and Katowicz's Toward a Sociology of Cult Films, reading Rocky Horror. And the surface characteristics of Rocky Horror identify it as a cult film. It meets the criteria, but its legacy and status also meets the sociological criteria for a, quote, cult. Hell yeah. The text and cult activities that occur during its viewing reveal it as both a paradoxical indictment and validation of traditional societal arrangements. So basically people who are excluded from communities looking for and forming a community as an act of deviance against traditional community gathering when the reality is that it's a quite a traditional community gathering. Mm-hmm. So therefore an indictment and validation. And I just wanted to touch on this because there's way too much to go over in that article right now. But just keep it in your mind. And Richard O'Brien at this point in the commentary turns to Pat (laughs) wherever they're sitting doing this recording says, we should have got Oscars for that mate. And it makes me wonder what Rocky Horror, like how it would do critically. Oh, I still don't think, I think it would still be panned if it was redone and re-released today as like a brand new film. I think that without it existing Mm -hmm. in its form 
for the last 45 years. Mm -hmm. Yes, if this was a brand new movie today with nothing like this having been made before, I don't think it would have done well. See, if, if it, let's, okay, let's say it was the musical in the 70s, they never adapted it to be a movie. And then now it's the year 2021, they go back and like, you know, they're like, what do, what do we want to adapt into a movie now? And they're like, cool, let's look at the musicals from the 70s that we never adapted, but like disco's in right now. And But then we wouldn't have Pat or Nell or no. Richard or Tim or Meatloaf or any of them. Well, what if, okay, I don't mean to start a fight here, but what if like RuPaul were Frankenfurter? Like, what if, let's say, Rocky Horror Picture Show starring Tim Curry never existed. They, in the year 2021, are like, we're going to adapt this weird, funky musical from 1973 called The Rocky Horror Show starring RuPaul. That's so interesting to think about. It's hard to measure the level of how ingrained Rocky Horror is in society. how relevant and popular would drag culture be in 2021 without rocky horror's existence yeah like that sort of stuff too right it's all so that interwoven and like it's threaded through every piece of our society honestly you run the spectrum of viewers like you have the people like us who've dedicated so much um time and energy to watching this movie <laughs> on play pause uh for months now um but then you also have the people who saw it once Mm -hmm. and it affected them and they never watched it again because they didn't feel they needed to yeah i saw it once and i don't ever need to experience what my eyeballs witnessed that time so it's like it's hard to measure where would present day society be without rocky horror over the last 45 years because because of its accessibility being a film it's literally the longest running film shown in movie theaters well like you it's just anybody anywhere anytime could watch it if they want to if they're curious or if they love it yeah you know so now we cut to the exterior it is almost sunrise we have like just the glimmerings of daylight peeking Mm -hmm. over in the background and there is like almost a silhouette of the castle because it's kind of backlit with that early dawn Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh we see brad and janet with dr scott like propped up in between them or like his arms over their shoulders so they're they're... kind of carrying him out of the castle Mm -hmm. and the castle has a big old rainbow over it so then I'm thinking, like, Wizard of Oz, right? Yeah, totally. They're, they're going back over the rainbow. Ever since Mark told us about the ties to Wizard of Oz, I had never thought about it before, but now I can't stop thinking about yeah, you can't how it. many times it references Wizard of Oz, even with the original idea of it being in black and white until they get to the castle, until they get into the ballroom. Mm-hmm. That's when it was supposed to go into color, mm-hmm. and then it was supposed to go back to black and white at the end. I had no idea how much this referenced Wizard of Oz until Mark was like, hey, you know that's a thing, right? Well, it makes me wonder, like, again, whose dream it is. Because, like, of course, it's it, in the original stage show, it's the Usherette's dream. 
Um, and since it's returning to Transylvania, and that's home for Riff and Magenta, could it be Riff or Magenta's dream? Because they, at the start of the movie, see Brad and Janet. So it could be their moment of, you guys were there. <laughs> you guys were in my weird dream. Oh, the weird people that I saw at the wedding earlier tonight. They were in my dream. You know? <laughs> yeah. If it's Riff and Magenta the next morning, they're like, what a wild dream that, that was. That was so weird. I'm I dreamed so you were my to... sister. <gasps> oh, that's a whole other can of worms. There is a huge explosion. And, okay, but the music right now, too. There's, like, the the guitar, like, wah, And then the wah, chorus wah, over it. Wah, 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 it's so epic. And then the castle starts to shake and take off. And you see the outline of it still in the back because the special effects at the time had to... It, it was a camera effect trick to make it look like the... Yeah. I mean, originally it was supposed to be surrounded by a giant beam of light and then vanish. Um, yeah, not not so doable in uh, 1975 with the budget that they were given. No. <laughs> it almost looks like there's people. There are people falling out of that. Who are the people? I don't know if they're people. They or are it's people. Just, like people-shaped debris? Yeah, Exactly. Yes, just... Oh, it could be, like, the statues, like, D- <gasps> David and uh, well, okay. Divad. That wasn't what I'd meant, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking people-shaped debris. Yeah. And those are literally people-shaped debris. That's true. That is true. Because I was even... Because then it's like, does the pool go with the castle? Yeah. Does the Because it's a hole in the ground. That's a question that I always have. Is like if it is on the ground level or even below ground level, how much of that castle takes off? Does the pool go with it? Are Rocky and Frank still on Earth? Do they get transported back to transsexual? See, okay, if it if they're like leaving their bodies there because it doesn't matter because they zapped their spirits back to Transylvania already, like who cares if we leave their bodies there? Like who really cares? Because they're not caring about. But also, a police report that might be filed later that that morning. But also, they're aliens. They don't care about Frank and Rocky anymore because they've had it. Well, yes. And officially. they don't have to care about Earth police looking at these dead bodies. <laughs> they have. They literally do not care. They're not thinking about the consequences. They're like, I just got to go home. This moment plays with the trope, collapsing lair which is the inevitable occurrence after a supervillain has been defeated. The surroundings fall around the heroes as they narrowly escape. Then we get like the twinkling of the beginning of superheroes. If you're watching the UK version. Yes, so here is where we have to specify. We have been watching the UK version this whole time. Because, because that's the one that we okay. take as canon. I would like, if I may, if I may, to pitch to you the 50th 4K release. <laughs> it should just be one release. Superheroes should be its full song. If they're going to redo Brad's bedroom scenes to not be white, white to be blue again, like the, they can 
address those inconsistencies. Well, and also in superheroes rounds the film out. It yes. doesn't. It feels hollow at the end without superheroes. Like it's just like meh, done. Literally, like, <laughs> well, it's. I also like that it exists because if you want a truly confusing ending, you watch the U.S. version because. It just cuts in the middle of uh, the choir doing their, like, grand climax. Yeah. And it's like, all of a sudden, it just cuts. Yeah, and you feel like there was more song there. And there is more song there. A song written in the key of A minor with, it starts just like a simple piano, but then it brings in the whole band with, you know, that classic, like, rock and roll strumming. It's so dramatic. And they're in fog. Richard O'Brien in the commentary states, it made no sense whatsoever, quote, to cut Brad and Janet's verses. He also says it was, quote, rather stupid. And he also believes that it's required to have a full tie-up yeah exactly like i said it rounds it out yes so the reason that it was cut from the u.s release and is still cut from a majority of the screenings of the u.s release uh is because lou adler when the film opened went to a bunch of screenings in the u.s and saw that people were leaving a little bit like sad And that they were like, wow, that film meant things to me. And he was like, I don't want people to be sad leaving this movie. Cut the sad song. And um, cut superheroes and basically also cut um, the reprise of science fiction double features. So it just went straight into time warp again. The like instrumental. Yes. So that it was like, oh, I remember this song. I like this one. And he was like, see, people are happy now. And it's like, that's not the point, though. Okay, this is very interesting, though, because the cult fandom started in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And the cut that they were watching most likely was the U.S. version. Mm -hmm. Do you think that had anything to do with, like, fan reaction? That, like, maybe that's why in the U.K. it's still almost more appreciated as the stage show as like i also think it has something to do with the obsessive nature of americans yeah we need to have it we need to look like it we need to do it i need all of the things surrounding it yeah i like coca-cola i'm gonna have my whole house be coca-cola like literally americans are insane (laughs) it's fine whatever who cares if it ends on a depressing note like it brings up questions in yourself of why aren't I satisfied with that and what would I have liked to have seen happen yeah I could not imagine doing like shadow casting the U.S. version because I think we would get like thrown out of the theater because like we just I feel like fans have accepted that the U.K. version is the real version yes we cut to Brad in the middle of the smoke and fog and he kind of sits back down on his haunches but they all have it all looks like they were close to the explosion like they got the carbon runoff on their faces <laughs> it's of, very charcoaly yes 
Something that I've noticed about Brad in the last quarter of the film is his movements are a lot more feminine. Even the pose that he's sitting in in superheroes is more feminine. He's got his knees pushed together and he's kind of leaning forward with his arms you know, um, kind of gently laid on his knees. Mm-hmm. He's It's more of a feminine pose. And I think that speaks a lot to his character development of him learning to embrace his femininity and his, uh, you know, let go of some of the more toxic masculine traits. He sings, I've done a lot. God knows I've tried to find the truth. I've even lied. But all I know is down inside, I'm bleeding. So Brad is working on finding the truth, Mm -hmm. whether that's about his sexuality, his relationship. His working relationship with Dr. Scott. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know if him saying he's even lied is Brad acknowledging and confirming that He knew where he was going the whole night long, knew what turn he made, knew he would get stuck at a dead end and that's where he was going to leave the car. And then that he was going to lie to Janet and say, oh, I'm just going to go see if they can help us. Or did he lie about, and I mean like the long run lie of he's always known that he's been attracted to more than just women and he's lied about being straight his whole life could be that easy where it's like yeah i've suppressed these feelings and now he's acknowledging that that was a lie i don't know to find the truth i've even lied i just really want brad and dr scott to be in on it i want that (laughs) i know me too yeah why dr scott shows up it like he has to check up on the on the mission that he's sending brad on you know me though i gotta play devil's advocate yeah absolutely (laughs) i think he is acknowledging that he's lied to janet in some capacity which um, does that mean they're ready to get married? Does that mean they're ready to get engaged? Are those the kinds of conversations that, like, you have before you get engaged? Or See, this is where it comes to, if this was made in 2021, after superheroes, Brad and Janet would look at each other and go, we should do couples therapy. They, so Brad has not prepared for the consequences of the evening. No. Which also make me think that he went in... Knowing it was a mission, but, like, wasn't aware of the scope of it. Yes. And, like, Dr. Scott didn't give him enough of a a prime on the objective of, like, no, don't get seduced by him. And don't leave Janet alone, ever. Don't bring her. What are you doing? Don't bring her. Leave her in the car. And now, down inside, I'm bleeding, could be interpreted as I'm feeling lots of emotions and I'm being dramatic about explaining my emotions. Or it could be, I have literal internal bleeding because I was just an explosion. Yes. (laughs) And he collapses and falls face forward as he finishes singing. Um, There's a cut line here where Dr. Scott would would have joined in on I'm bleeding. Dr. Scott doesn't say anything. No, he just, in superheroes, wiggles on his back like a turtle. (laughs) Yes. So it's like, it's interesting. If after Brad is talking about lying to find the truth, he and Dr. Scott acknowledge each other of like, oh, this was like way deeper than either of us Mm -hmm. could have even imagined. 
And for Dr. Scott, too, if he's not the same person as Frank, if he's just sent his nephew to be the first um, probe of the aliens, he, too, could be feeling like, down inside I'm bleeding, I sacrificed my nephew. Well, even... I'm bleeding because I now realize that all of the things that I've asked other people to do for me have these major dire consequences. Yep. We now cut to Janet, who looks like she is in a production of uh, Cats. Cats. Yes. This is when I pull out my shadow cat-sing, <laughs> and Brad and Janet will kind of enter on one of the aisles and will walk down one of the aisles. Or superheroes, you can do whatever you want. I like to, um, while we're doing, like, that cut between the Riff and Magenta talking to each other and superheroes, I'll go in the audience and ask somebody if they would mind if I, um, sat on their lap, on their lap, Mm -hmm. um, and I will usually do it on somebody's lap as Brad. Yes. I like to start at the back of an aisle so that people who were in the back row and didn't get like a front row seat the whole time. Like at least there was some audience interaction to start in the back and I'll lament my way down the aisle and just like collapse as she (laughs) collapses into chairs. Another cute one that I've seen is um, a Janet literally crawling all the way across an aisle, a a row of of seats. Uh So she'll start at one end and stumble, stumble, fall across the people in that aisle and literally be crawling on her hands and knees over all of the people in that (laughs) row. Anything that's audience interactivity, that's the name of the game. But Susan is just like engulfed in fog that we don't see Janet singing the first couple of lines because she's kind of looking down and stumbling about. She says, and superheroes come to feast to taste the flesh not yet deceased. And all I know is still the beast is feeding. Is Janet revealing the true mission of the Transylvanians, which is to, because she says superheroes, and by a human's scope, an alien would be a superhuman. But also, Brad and Janet are referred to in the opening credits as the hero and the heroine. Are Brad and Janet the superheroes? No. (laughs) They don't do anything to, like, better their situation. They totally just, like, are along for the ride and are happy to be observing it. But hear me out. Superheroes come to feast to taste the flesh. And then that's the end of that sentence for me, in my interpretation. Okay. Superheroes, Brad and Janet come to feast to taste the flesh so they come experiment. to feast the the castle to taste the flesh to experiment not yet deceased because brad and janet are not dead all she knows is the beast is feeding so whatever was awoken in her is the like sexual urges it's still there the confidence that's the my interpretation of that verse okay because I think she's literally revealing that the aliens both feast and need to impregnate the human species. (laughs) She's looking skyward, not directly at the camera, looking around. Yeah, like, hunger is often used as a metaphor for sexual lusting. Um, I wanted to, like, I've asked, I asked this question of Susan before of, like, what was happening in the 70s that just, like, these women were getting into these terrible situations with these terrible men uh, influencing them 
and uh, found this article from daysdigital.com. Why did Satan begin to possess girls on screen in the 70s? <laughs> uh, it reflected Cold War paranoia and fears of the growing feminist movement. Uh, examples like Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, and The Omen, to name a few. Um, from the article, they said, existential fears about the nature of society are not explored through the man-made mechanics of nuclear war or superpower race imperialism that actually has made people more fearful. Instead, it's through the bodies of women in these movies. Mm -hmm. They decided to feel that women were this radical <laughs> idea that they're having. They must be possessed. Yeah. Instead of it being like, or like, I don't know, maybe people are traumatized from the ongoing wars that have that have just you know been happening forever and also in this article if the future of society is children then motherhood has always been the cultural concept we have used to rigorously enforce the maintenance of social values so women can have babies so that is their primary job would an alien baby be considered an antichrist in the same way that like rosemary's baby she literally yeah, like, births I, I think so. the devil. It reminds me of um, season two of American Horror Story, mm. um, the asylum one. It starts in an insane asylum. Oh, boy. And then there's, like, aliens and then, like, pregnancy alien stuff that happens. And it's very convoluted because it's American Horror Story. it's Ryan Murphy. But that's what Alien Baby always reminds me of. Okay. Maybe we need to rewatch it. Maybe it's aged well. Maybe that season has aged well because it's so <laughs> absurd that maybe it has like everything is Rocky Horror. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's like so many elements to it that like are not supposed to make sense. That there's like I just wasn't paying enough attention. <laughs> anyway, this isn't an American Horror Story podcast. Janet finishes her verse and starts crawling away, and we pan like we zoom out. And we see that they're not exactly crawling toward each other. They're all just kind of writhing yeah. around. And Dr. Scott is lying on his back on top of a wrecked wheelchair that looks like it has too many wheels. I have questions about that as well because we see them carrying him out. So he doesn't have his wheelchair with him at that point. Where, 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 where did it come from? I think this lends into... Dr. Scott and Frank possibly being the same person. So Dr. Scott's in his fishnets mm -hmm. with his, like, it's like, it, like they, it looks like a bomb went off because his shirt is tattered and, like, ripped up. Maybe there was uh, debris flying at them. <laughs> Directly at him ripping his shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got completely shattered, broken glasses and he's reaching up toward the sky, and it's like, I don't know if he's reaching to them to, like, take me with you. I think that's always what I thought it was. Yeah, because he's the uh, UFO guy, so he wants to go to the alien planet. Right. I always thought it was that. But we get a change in the camera angle to now Dr. Scott breaking the fourth wall. And in the commentary, Richard O'Brien says, this is exactly the same place we did the overhead shot of Tin in the pool. Hmm. 
And it is a reverse where we were falling into the pool and seeing Frank. And now we're coming out. And now we're zooming out of Dr. Scott. Or maybe it's not that they're the same person, but just that they are like mirrored characters. Yes. Definitely, if they're not the same person, they're like linked characters. In the way that like I've always thought Rocky and Frank were a couple, but like after going through the analysis, it feels like Dr. Scott and Frank are the couple. Absolutely. And they have the sordid past. But I don't know. I also like the idea of us going into Frank's dream, going into his paradise. And now that we know that it was all a dream, maybe, we're zooming out of Dr. Scott's maybe dream. She's put the tinfoil back on, everyone. I'm not going to lie, it never came off. It's just there. It's just there. Also in the script, we were supposed to get, like, pieces of Eddie's coffin and then broken bits from the laboratory. Which I would have loved. That would have been awesome. Because then I start thinking about if they had cast Meatloaf to double play Dr. Scott. If it were, like, we're seeing Dr. Scott with the wheelchair, but we're also seeing the character that he was playing earlier his coffin yeah like that's so that would be meta that would be so cool yeah i I like like that that. and brad is crawling in one direction along like the bottom of this shot and janet is completely opposite going in the opposite direction well going in the same direction but on the the opposite side of the circle yeah right we start still zooming further and further out until the shot starts to spin and 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 we dissolve into the study right where the crim has landed his hand on the globe to stop it and we see that we were maybe just observing something on crim's desk this whole time just an imagination of the events that had occurred we haven't seen Krim since the start of Floor Show when he was talking about what diabolical plans could they be doing in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. This is He's also singing the last verse of Superheroes. Which in the U.S. cut doesn't make any yeah. sense because he's literally referencing them crawling around yes. on the ground and we don't see any of that. So this is just nonsense words if you cut the rest of Superheroes. Right. Exactly. We start, we're starting a petition now to reinstate the UK version as the only version. And this shot is the shot that took the most retakes to film <laughs> because Jim Sharman needed it to land on Australia. Yes, a little uh, ode to his homeland. A true author's signature. <laughs> like, And he leaves the globe on through... credits so you get to see australia the whole time yes (laughs) so the criminologist is standing with his hand on the globe and the denton affair clasped in his other arm Mm -hmm. and he's looking directly into the camera and he says and crawling on the planet's face some insects called the human race lost in time and lost in space and meaning He's holding the globe steady, and he's displaying that Denton affair to remind us that that is the key document that we're getting all of this information from this whole time. 
And that's the end of the story he has. So yeah, like humans think we're so big and important when we're just another tiny species populating the earth. Krim begins to turn to go, but wait, that's it? That's the end? That's how it ends? <laughs> but what does it mean? Well, I guess uh, you guys will just have to tune in next time to find out. We are so just thankful that you guys have listened and uh, this has been an awesome joy to work on and we have one more episode left so until then follow us on instagram at time warp radio you can follow us on twitter at time warp rad pod our blog is at timewarpradio.blogspot.com you can send us an email at timewarpradiopod at gmail.com and we can't wait to talk to you guys next time so until then On On Wednesdays, Wednesdays, we we watch watch Rocky. Rocky. Bye. Bye. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us out, and we appreciate all your feedback. We'll see you next time. Mm